So I see in the document here that you have follow-up on the garden salad debacle. On the garden salad debacle, okay? So I now the side salads, no fruit. Large Caesar salad, no fruit. Large garden salad. It is a 50-50 on the fruit. The salad is half fruit? No, it is 50-50 of the times that I order it that I get fruit. Sometimes I get fruit and sometimes I don't. Do you think it's just like there's one There's one person just leaving their special Like someone back in the kitchen who's really into fruit? It's their signature. That's what I'm guessing. That one person who's in the back just like, "Mm mm-hmm, and now to add my finishing touch, some fruit. I don't know. That is wild. So I'm going to have to try it again and see if I get fruit again. But this is, I kind of like that, though. So I, I kind of like the not knowing. I love a little bit of chaos. Like, that's just who I am. Yeah, no, I, I get that. I just, you know, it's, it's been a while since we have recorded. Uh, so naturally, I'm assuming that you've had a couple more of these garden salads. Yes. To be able to say, you know, half the time you get the fruit, half the time you don't. Yeah. How many data points do you have? I have at least three more data points. I, I think you. we just need more data to make we this need like more a fully data. scientific study. Thank God this place is four minutes from my house because <laughs> <laughs> I can do data points. <laughs> uh, we do have one more bit of follow-up. Maybe we should do that before like going into the, the full episode. That way we can yeah. just like, get all the follow-up out of the way in the beginning. Uh, yeah, I have finally listened to Autumn Leaves. Yay! Which version? Edith Piaf? I did. I did listen to the Edith Piaf version, and oh, that was good. <laughs> That's a good song. Like I, I went and I bought a copy and I put it <laughs> in. I'm still using iTunes, and I put it on my iPod that I'm Whoa. still using. And yeah, I think that's going to become a staple in some of my playlists. And I totally, I totally get what you were saying with your comparison. That it's it has this weird reflective melancholy Mm -hmm. but not like there's a joyfulness to it yes there's there's a love in there that is celebrated but it's gone and so when i listen to four seasons this is what i heard yeah i i don't think i would have made that connection myself but going to listen to the song because you made that connection and bringing that into the song with me really was a fantastic experience so thank you very much yay not letting me get out of listening to that song. <laughs> I just kept bugging you. I was like, have you listened to it yet? Have you listened to it yet? Because I the the connection to me was just so visceral that I needed I needed it, especially when I think of Sokka and Yue. That song Autumn Leaves just oh it yeah. hits me. Yeah. It it made me want to go back and rewatch all of the finale all over again. <laughs> quickest into the episode to say <laughs> that you wanted to rewatch everything all over again. That's it. <laughs> Water. Earth. Fire. Air. Long ago, the four nations lived together in harmony. Then, everything changed when the Fire Nation attacked. Only the Avatar, master of all four elements, could stop them. But when the world needed him most, he vanished. A hundred years passed and my brother and I discovered the new Avatar, an airbender named Aang. And although his airbending skills are great, he has a lot to learn before he's ready to save anyone. But I believe Aang can save the world. (laughs) 
Hello and welcome to The Pie Show with your hosts. I'm Colton. And I'm Kelly. And today we are talking about book one. Just book one. one, (laughs) All of book one. It's our book one retrospective. Yay! (laughs) So this episode's going to be a little different because we're just taking a look back at the last, what was it, 20 episodes? Yeah. 20 episodes. And it's book one, Water. Let's specify that. Oh, that is true. That is true. It is book one, Water. Which, for being titled Water, we spend a lot of book one, not water. Yeah, for book one. Well, I don't think that it's necessarily that it takes place on the water, but more of this is the element that Aang is mastering. Do you think, because we're, since we're looking at, let's just jump right in to looking at like the major themes for the season. Um, We know that water is the element of flow and change do you Mm -hmm. think maybe that book one water also describes the season as a whole i mean he starts he flows from one end of the world to the other and he starts at the southern uh water tribe and ends at the northern water tribe so i think i think it is very fitting even though it's yeah he he flows throughout his journey here it's it takes a lot of twists and turns i think it could fit I think his Aang's coming into the world and, and emergence from the iceberg is sort of the beginning of the changing tide. I like that. I like that. And I can't wait to bring this up in our other like book retrospectives when I ask, like, all right, so how did Earth hit you on this season? <laughs> yeah, that'll be that'll be interesting to look at going forward. Yeah. I can't believe we got through a whole season together. I'm so excited. I'm just so excited that, you know, we were able to tackle season one together, 20 episodes. And I just, what was it like for your first rewatch? This is your first rewatch of season one. Well, I definitely, definitely, definitely liked Sokka a lot more this time. (laughs) I wonder whose influence that was under. No idea. (laughs) Wow. And I was, I think the thing that I walked away with most rewatching for the first time was just how tight season one is. Mm, explain. Especially when I sat down to make my, my rewatch list, there's almost no fluff. Every episode serves a purpose in the larger story or in the development of our characters. And it just, it is so well written and so just tight and streamlined and good yeah it is it is really tight uh i feel like watching it the first time i remember thinking like well if this is it it was a really good ride because i i was a kid i had no idea like about like if it was picked up or anything because sometimes shows that i watched would just disappear and i didn't understand why and then i would just go on and you know think in the back of my mind i wonder whatever happened to legend of the seeker I wonder what happened to gummy bears. They changed the time and I never saw where the gummy bears went again. You know, just various little things. So I was like, if this is all I get of this show, awesome. Like, really would like more. But was that not a great run? Yeah, yeah. And I think if you... No, it's really interesting. I frequently recommend shows to my friends. I think that's the thing that, you know, socially we're starting to see a lot more of. Uh, thanks to streaming. But and I have a lot of shows recommended to me. And one of the things that seems to permeate and pervade across, you know, all of these suggestions are just get through season one. Yeah, get through season one. <laughs> season two is so much better. Season three is the best show you've ever seen. Like everyone says that season yeah, one sucks. Ignore the every first show. two and a half seasons of Parks and Rec and you'll be fine. Like so many times. 
or every Star Trek fails the first season. It takes Star Trek two seasons to get good. There's always a caveat or like once this character like does this, then everything's better. Don't worry about it. And I think when I talked to you about the show, I gave no caveats. <laughs> you just didn't trust me on it. <laughs> yeah, that was. Yeah, I should have. I gave cause... no caveats. I was just like, you got to watch it. No, watch Avatar. Avatar is the best. And maybe that's why I have trouble getting people to watch it sometimes is because there's no caveat. There's no like, and there's a there's a strong story. There are well-written, strong characters who all have significant growth. And it's not necessarily always forward progress for the characters and who they are because progress isn't linear. So the progress for these characters should not be linear either. I mean, you look at Zuko, his progress is all over the map. Yeah. And I think one of the one of the interesting things that I was not expecting was, uh, I guess, about six months ago now, I, I called you up and I said, hey, let's, you know, I just watched Avatar. <laughs> I want to watch it again. Let's let's do like a podcast where we where we watch it again. <laughs> and in the back of my mind, I was thinking this will be really good once we get past the rough spots in the beginning. Bear with me, because I know we just did a huge rant about how we both agreed <laughs> that there are no rough spots in the beginning. And that is true. But I remembered after having binged the whole show in the matter of what did it take me like two weeks mm -hmm. the first time through that there were some episodes that I was not so much a fan of. And I realized during this rewatch that those episodes are in book two. Oh, and I think it's interesting that like the the if I were to put caveats on this show, if I were to like mark rough spots, they're not in the beginning. They're in the middle. <laughs> wow. OK, I'm I'm so excited to work on book two with you because I feel like you and I are going to fight so much more. Like, I think at the when I definitely I have two episodes I know where we're going to fight in book two and <laughs> I'm scared because they're both early in book two. <laughs> I'm so ready. I think that's what I was concerned about in six months ago when you said, Kelly, I want to do a podcast about Atla. I was like, well, this is something that I hold very dear and love and care about and have been like tending the garden of my thoughts to for so long. And I have not let anyone see that garden. I have not let anyone in besides like my husband knows my thoughts on it, but even he hasn't like gone through like the full rewatch. He's experiencing it with you now. Uh, <laughs> and when he listens to the show, he goes, also, oh, that's what she was thinking. So I was really nervous about sharing my thoughts on this show at the very beginning. And I was so concerned of like, well, what if my thoughts don't align with Colton's? How are our fights going to work out? And you and I aligned a lot on season one that I was really impressed about. Yes, we had our differences. The spirit world, I think our biggest fight of book one, all over a stupid misunderstanding between the two of us. A fight where we didn't actually disagree in the end. We just <laughs> didn't understand the language the other was using. <laughs> so we both walked away going, well, they're 100% they're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> but it was really interesting to see how much we ended up aligning on things, where we aligned or where we were able to kind of turn each other's heads and see things we didn't see before. And so I'm excited for season two, because like you said, you, 
think there are some rough ones in season two, and that's where you had your issues. I happen to love season two. It, it also, I think, I think with season two, you had also mentioned to me at some point that some of your season two binging was done very late at night and like not paying attention to some of them. Yeah. So whereas for my season two, like when I'm watching it, I'm watching it. I'm here. I'm like, I'm there. Or it's, or, you know, sometimes I'll do it as background, but it's because I love it. Like if I'm rewatching it, it's, it's because I put it on and I love it. So we, uh, we shall see. I'm looking forward to it. I am interested to find out if this watch was different for you. So I think the big difference was that I was actively looking. I was actively watching. So I caught a lot more of the symbols here and there, like the scene transitions, those things I wasn't really looking for before. So I didn't notice. Um, I actually was rewatching uh, Blue Spirit today and the scene transition where Sokka asks, Have, did you make any new friends? And Aang rolls over saying no. And they go back to Zuko looking up at the Fire Nation thing and he rolls back over. Never would have caught that before. Never would have caught that before. It's the scene transitions. And then I think you really opened my eyes up to two things that have kind of changed my perspective is the music and how much the music builds and feeds this world. And I've caught myself like just like getting little bits of the music stuck in my head here and there. And I'm excited to see the new themes that will come up. And that's kind of changed my perspective of watching this show. And then the other thing is the color theory that you introduced to me very early on of the blue and red, of the good and the evil. And that is something I'm not... I have seen Star Wars. I, I do watch it, but I'm We've not... We've watched it together many times. We've watched it together. <laughs> but I haven't, you know, gotten into that deep into it. And so to have that idea of those colors and that color theory brought into Avatar, I started to see it a bit more and see the difference and especially in the finale. Um, all the blue and red as well as even the color being sucked out and desaturated from the scene. It's really incredible. Well, I'm glad I could turn your eyes to some of the things that catch my eye. Yeah. It's Colton and Kelly's Indefinitive Rewatch List. Yeah! Another song. Okay. Another song. We're doing more songs. We're making jingles. <laughs> I wanted to do a song for that. I don't know why. I just felt it was necessary. I think because it's been built. Like, you've been talking about this and building it for a while now, for a couple of episodes. And we reached that point now where the, the emotion is too great for you to talk, so you must sing. Yes. Yes, I think that is exactly it. Just don't don't let it get to the point where you can no longer sing and you must dance because that won't work in a podcast. It will not work in a podcast. That is only for like the Patreon live show. No kidding. <laughs> don't have a Patreon. Also, what are you talking also, about the Patreon I don't know. Live show? <laughs> I don't know. It seemed like something to say. <laughs> also, no one wants to see me dance. Do an interpretive dance. No. No one wants that. No. No one wants that. The rewatch list that I have been hinting at, talking about for a while, I want to give you. So we'll go through my list and then your list, and we shall compare and contrast. 
So my first one is Southern Air Temple. Yes, I skip over the pilot, but I think Southern Air Temple really wraps it all together really well and kicks us off with a bang. Warriors of Kiyoshi, because I love my girl Suki and... This one's important to me because I love tracking Suki's journey. And this is the only chance we get to see her in book one. So I want to see her at her very first introduction. Also, she like whomps on Sokka. Like she like wallops him. And I really enjoy that. Like he needs that. And I like seeing that reminder in season one. Then the King of Omashu because I love me some Boomy. My new one that I have added is Blue Spirit. That is brand new. And I'll see how I feel about that. Uh, then the fourth teller uh i think it adds fun and that that's my that's my fun one uh and my fun silly shippy one the northern air temple because that is like one of the that battle is incredible with the mechs and Sokka coming up with the idea for the war balloon and using the gas like this really introduces how they're going to fight battles going forward then the water bending master specifically for katara's battle with kaku and taking down the patriarchy. I am here for it. And then to finish up the Siege of the North Part 1 and the Siege of the North Part 2. And that is my season one in definitive, now definitive, rewatch list. It's interesting because, so I had a really hard time with this. There are several variations of different lengths of mine. um, And I ultimately landed like you. I mean, I I considered Siege of the North just a single episode. Mm. So if, you know, you counted it, you know, part one and part two. But aside from that, we have the same number of episodes, which I found (laughs) really interesting. Um, Yeah. A lot of the same episodes. A lot of your list is on mine. I do think it's interesting where we differ and I think I want to I think I want to talk about what I put on mine and then we can compare the two and and get into the weeds about you know where we differ. Yeah, go ahead. Give me your list. So I also started with the Southern Air Temple. Um just cuz I my goal was less in making my list what do I think should be cut? And it was more like, okay, how do I as quickly as possible, you know, if someone says, get me, get me season one in as few points as you can. I think that Southern Air Temple, like you said, you know, covers enough of what happens in the premiere that that can suffice. Um, I skip Kiyoshi and I go straight to King of Omashu. And I know that that makes you sad. And I'm sorry. I thought as I was crossing Kiyoshi off the list, Kelly's not going to like this. <laughs> <laughs> no, go ahead. Continue but with your list, list and your reasoning. Kelly's. Yeah. Um, and then we will discuss. Yeah, you're right. Uh, then I go into Waterbending Scroll. Then the Storm, Blue Spirit, nothing until the Deserter. There's, I chop a lot out of the middle there. Uh, then I go into Waterbending Master and then Siege of the North. I notice a big gap on yours, Colton. Uh, hmm. Whatever happened to the Great Divide, your favorite episode? <laughs> I, I did not say the Great Divide was my favorite episode. If you would go back and listen to the prior episodes, I never said it was my favorite. I simply said that it gets too much hate mm, mm. and that it is an underrated episode. <laughs> I'm just joshing you. I'm just messing with you. Feel bad for whoever Josh was coining yeah. that term. <laughs> so you skip over Kiyoshi. I skip over Kiyoshi. I I didn't want to because I really really like Sokka's journey in that episode. Thanks to you. Um, I also really like Suki's introduction. I just if I'm trying to put as few episodes in this list as 
as I think I can. And judging from the fact that we hit the same number of episodes, completely <laughs> I feel like, okay, that was probably a good number to try and hit. Then I feel, I just, I think that, you know, we know that we see Suki later in the show. That's why we call it Suki's intro. And I, I think that her appearances later can stand without her introduction in Kiyoshi. I think that's a fair point. So my question to you, why the waterbending scroll? I think the waterbending scroll is a pivotal episode in getting into Katara's mind. Mm. I think that the the pressures that we see her experiencing in waterbending scroll both external and internal, really show us who she is as a character. And I think it sets up her arc that we see when they get to the Northern Water Temple so wonderfully. Now, do you think you would have felt that way before the rewatch? I do not. I think that that was entirely because, similar to you, I was doing a much more active watch this time (laughs) than the first time. And I do think that, honestly, a lot of the points that you raised in our episode about the waterbending scroll, about Katara's mindset, really, really worked their way into my brain. Wow. Okay, cool. Um, I'm glad to have had an influence there. (laughs) Couldn't quite get Kiyoshi onto my list, but you got waterbending scroll there. That's fine. Which I notice is not on your list. Nope. (laughs) No, it is not. But you did get me to put Blue Spirit on my list, which I did not have before. I even like when I was writing it out, when I was originally thinking through, all right, Kelly, what is usually on your list? Blue Spirit was not on there. It would have gone King of Amashu and then to Fortune Teller. That is a big jump. I know. I know. But for me, for for the rewatcher that I am, I have a lot more in season two and season three Mm. that I really love, especially because I have my favorite characters show up then. Like, I'm I'm there. I'm ready. We get, you know, we get more Suki. We get, you know, two other female characters who I think are just like the bee's knees. So for me, usually when I'm watching season one, it's like you said, what are the shortest points I can get through season one? So uh, that that was kind of my mindset. And I also, I will say when I created my list, I had to do less thinking. It was like, no, Kelly, when you pull up Netflix, what have you clicked on first? What do you, what would you naturally click on? So I had to, when I made my list, I had to take out everything that we had talked about, not listen to that. (laughs) And then bring that back in and say, all right, what conversations do you think pulled pulled you so much that you need to watch it again and blue spirit and our conversation about ang and the blue spirits battle at the end and the conversation about zuko and ang and if they would have been friends that is something i wanted to watch again and that is something i feel i will want to watch again if i ever do a shortened version of this again which i will because that's who i am as a person well i'm i'm glad that you could have that experience i I keep getting stuck looking at your list on the fortune teller and the Northern Air Temple. Okay. Because they both just seem so self-contained, I guess. I wouldn't say the Northern Air Temple is self-contained. I know, I know. I know it's the introduction of the war balloons and, and that battle is dem- you know demonstrating how we're going to fight going forward. And I agree with you on all of that. I just, I... Fortune Teller is very bottle episode. I do understand that. Yeah, and I wanted to put Northern Air Temple on my list, but I didn't want to put it on my list for the reasons you did. I wanted to put it on my list because we have so few moments of being in any like Air Temple moments, Air Bender mm. Society moments, 
and that is, you know, airbender adjacent enough that I had that pull to put it there. Oh, okay. I just, I couldn't, I thought that, you know, looking at Fortune Teller and Northern Air Temple, I think on my list, I I thought about both of those, but I ultimately went with the Storm and Deserter because I think those two, like Storm and Deserter, get us into our characters' heads in a deeper way. And Fortune Teller is fun. I... I don't, yeah, that's that yeah, is. I will and, say that is like one of my cotton candy episodes. That yeah, is that's fair. That I'm not even going to try to argue that, but I think I'm going <laughs> to try to argue it either. But. And I I feel weird arguing because like you know your rewatch list is what you're called to, but <laughs> I wanted to making my rewatch list based on you know what I'm called to, but also like trying to present a coherent plot for the show. I think Northern Air Temple really shows. Uh, it also, if you missed. If so, so, it's a good call to Southern Air Temple and about how there is the genocide. It also talks about they're on their way to the journey that they've made a few stops. Can we just make one more stop? It introduces Teo, which again, great character in my mind, like a really great representation for disability and part of what I love about the show. So I would want someone to get a taste of that so they know how those things are dealt with in this world. Mm -hmm. Um, And also, this is the first... We've seen a lot of nature and spirit and natural elements. We've got, you know, the water bending, fire bending. The closest we've gotten to technology is the postal system in Omashu. Mm. This is really leveling up the world. Without this episode, you miss a lot of the technical advances that are happening because I think that's really important to the world that they are on the precipice of these technological advances. The the cusp of the industrial revolution. Yes. They're pre-industrial, but only just barely. Yes, and that's why and it starts to explain why some places are not winning this war. Yeah. Okay, that's thank you for that. That was I completely failed to consider that angle yeah so that's that's part of that's that's my deeper reasoning for northern air temple i don't know why deserters on your list i like but then it's, again i i i did not enjoy jong jong um oh, i love jong jong <laughs> <laughs> it's just it's i think one of the first times we really are forced as the audience to look at firebending in a non-destructive light mm. It's the first time we're forced to consider that, hey, like, maybe not all firebenders are evil. Maybe the act of firebending is not inherently bad. That's true. That is true. Okay. I know. I can see how that'd be important. To continue bringing Star Wars into our conversation, you know, in Star Wars, (laughs) the dark side is bad. Mm -hmm. The dark side, using the dark side makes you bad. You use the dark side because you're bad. So... I think it's really a lot of, you know, other franchises and media have Mm -hmm. similar cons like black and white concepts of quite literally the forces of good and the forces of evil. And I think it's really spectacular that Avatar says, no, it's not these powers, these abilities that make you good or evil. It's what you do with them. It's how you think about them. I like that. I like that explanation. I think an episode that lives in that gray area and says, you know, not everyone on this side is good. Not everyone on that side is bad. That neither of us have on our list and neither of us will put on our list. Do you know what I'm thinking of? It's It's Jet. Jet. (laughs) (laughs) Not going to do it. I thought about it and I was like, no, I'm not putting Jet on my list. I know. I'm not going to lie. I thought about it, too. But it's so funny because I think I had a similar thought process to like you had about Suki of like, 
well, this is not Suki's whole journey. We get more of her later in the series. I had the same thought about Jet. I was like, well, we run into Jet later and he's really kind of more important in that one book and his journey there. So we'll just we'll just ignore that. (laughs) Yeah. And really, Jet as a character, like, he tells you everything you need to know about him right away. Does he, though? He does. He does. <laughs> You're like, does he? Because he turned out to be a jerk in the one episode where we've seen it. But th- he told you he was a jerk when he first showed up. You, He's like, a bad come on, boy. Look, look at that entrance <laughs> that he made. Like, come on. Suave. <laughs> Very Rico Suave. <laughs> you, you know that the first time you saw him, you were waiting, just waiting for the other shoe to drop. Mm. And then it did. And then it did. But uh, no, that that's <laughs> that's what I thought of when you were talking. It was like, it's Jet. Like, we're we're not going to add it to our list. (laughs) I'm sure other people may have that on their list, but neither of us did. Do they have that on their list? There are some people who really like Jet. I don't don't believe that. (laughs) (laughs) I don't support that. I am really surprised that the two of us managed to make our own list independently, not talk to each other, and have almost the same amount of episodes. <laughs> I don't. We do have this. We both we have, have eight episodes. Amount. Yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> you numbered them as nine, but that's because you continue to think the Siege of the North is two episodes when it's one. I do think of it as two episodes. No, it's just a double length episode. <laughs> Well, I think of it as two episodes, too, because I have in the past only watched part two. <laughs> I, I don't believe that. No, seriously. <laughs> How can you do that? I'm a monster. <laughs> you are. I love chaos. Oh, um, that's too much for me. Yeah, I know. But so, but sometimes I, I do only have watch you ever? But OK, the real question. Have you ever watched just part one? No. Have you ever watched part one? And they said, OK, you know what? I'm good. No. Yeah, yeah. So no, it's I one episode. Sometimes you start the episode halfway through. Makes me shudder with Antissa. Cute animal alert. Doesn't really work this time, but we're just going to no, go with it. No, it doesn't really work this time. Also, so I wanted to talk about some of our favorite animals from this season because we've been talking about every animal from this season. So just talk about some of our tops. Koala otters. Koala otters. Koala otters. I really talked myself into loving the buffalo yak. I didn't, I never noticed the buffalo yak before this rewatch. And then I was looking at it and just like watching it in the finale and just apart how they have a cavalry. And I was like, I'm about it. It's a beautiful, majestic animal. Very caring. Very strong. And I, I didn't realize how much I yaks. needed it. I, yes, and I love yaks. So I didn't realize how much I needed it in my life. Yeah. Um, I also, another thing I didn't know I needed in my life, turkey duck noises. Right? Like, that has found a way to just work itself into my brain and live there rent-free. <laughs> my brain has two sounds right now, turkey duck noises and the Wellerman. <gasps> oh my god! Me too! <laughs> me too! Specifically because you liked something on Twitter that was the Wellerman cover. And I listened to a metal cover of it today. It was really good. <laughs> Can you send me that? Yeah, it was on Spotify and it was really good. I have no idea if we're going to have a Wellerman aside in our show, but I feel like that's apropos. It is. It is. I do like that you're consistent in your agent of chaos, putting both Miyuki and Momo in this list of animals. Yes, I did. 
Well, I actually put three pets on here. I put Miyuki, Momo, and Flopsy. And I feel like each of the three really give a great... It's like that scene in 101 Dalmatians where you're watching the dogs and the owners walk down the street. And they look the same. And the dogs and the owners look the same. I kept thinking of that when I'm thinking of like, oh, I love Miyuki. I love Momo. I love Flopsy. And I'm like, it's because I love their crazy, chaotic owners. That's why. So this begs the question, if in that scene they have Aang walking down the street, it's Momo that he's walking with? It's not Appa? Okay. Well, I actually saw a thing that made a good point that Sokka is more of me, is more of Momo's, like Momo is more Sokka's pet than Aang's pet. Mm, that's a theory. Yeah. And I like it. Yeah. Because, I mean, Aang does have that special connection with Appa. Like, if, when they're separated, it's absolutely heartbreaking. It just, and that is his spirit, his animal guide. Mm-hmm. As they say, with the Avatar has his animal guide. I think uh, Momo is more Sokka's pet. The two of them are fine. They, when they first come across Momo, Sokka's the one who's like, oh, something to eat. And Momo brings him food in the end. Uh, Momo the, has the saved particular Sokka more way than in once. Which- they antagonize each other. Yep. Is very, it's special. Momo has saved Sokka more than once, uh, attack, you know, attacking various Fire Nation people. Uh, when they work together, clipping off the, uh, the with spears the boomerang, the clipping off the spears and Momo gathering them all. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think also Momo and Sokka in the, in uh, the Blue Spirit, where Sokka's sick and Momo doesn't know what to do and is beside himself and just like bringing anything. You know, I always read that scene as Momo is just, you know, like purely the comedy angle. I never read it as like Momo is distraught and distressed and does not know what to do and is just desperately trying. I mean, you just made what else is so he supposed sadder. to do? Yeah. Wow. They keep pointing and saying and saying something. And so he keeps going out and getting something and bringing it back. And he's like, is that it? No, that's not it. And they're pointing again. And he's like, what am I supposed to do for you people? Mm-hmm. Just be gleamer. Yeah, wow. That is. Oof, that I'm hurt. glad I can bring you some serious Momo feels <laughs> in our season one recap. <laughs> I was expecting a fun, charming, bouncy episode. And you're like, nope, be sad now. But uh, yeah, and so, you know, I, I love that crazy old lady. I think that crazy old lady would go great with, you know, uh, Boomy, who is Flopsy's owner. And I love me some Sokka. And so I love me some Momo. Now I'm thinking about Flopsy and Miyuki being friends. And I need that story. Uh, you know, Miyuki runs that house. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> Miyuki getting in trouble with the Fire Nation again because Flopsy's with her. Flopsy and Miyuki take on the Fire Nation. That is a story I am here for. I think that's our OTP. They're going to be the best animals of season one right there. Flopsy and Miyuki, the ultimate power team. So I've talked now a couple times about another podcast I listened to, Sky Talkers. Not going to give the whole big intro again because I've, I've mentioned it before on the show. I'll just throw a link in here. But on that show, whenever they do an interview with a guest or during their uh, annual, like, you know, here's all our look back at the podcast of what we made the last year kind of thing. They have what they call the Star Wars dinner party question. And I always find it very entertaining and very insightful as to, you know, what is going on with the two hosts, Charlotte and Caitlin, like what they're thinking about. 
And so I would like to adapt that segment into our own show and call it the Avatar The Last Airbender Dinner Party. The way it works is you're hosting a dinner party and you can invite five people related to Avatar to your dinner party. They can be writers, directors, creators, like anybody who's worked on the show. Um, They can be characters from the show voice actors, like whatever. The goal of it is to have a really good conversation at the party. And you can't use me as one of your five because we both go to each other's parties. (laughs) Okay. Okay. All right. So I love chaos. So I think I'm going to have, well, I love Sokka. So Sokka first. But then I want people who Sokka will be a great antagonist with. Um, So I'm thinking Aunt Wu, uh, because he has had some troubles with Aunt Wu and her predictions. I think Suki, because she will egg on Aunt Wu and the two of them will trash him. I think the mechanist, because the mechanist will be on Sokka's side with this. And then for my fifth, so I'm torn. So I think, and we're sticking just to season one. I think either Zuko, because Zuko trying to understand uh, everything that's going on here, hilarious. And also, Suki will antagonize Zuko. But I think another one that I just that I just thought of, instead of Zuko, D. Bradley Baker. Ooh, interesting wild card. Yes. So you're going entirely like characters from the show and also D. Bradley Baker. Yes, because I think it would be really interesting that he has, he he voices all these animals. He would have the best insight into what the animals truly meant when they quote unquote said something. Mm, And I think that would be interesting. So I think uh, me and Shaka would have a very interesting time talking to each other. I agree. I'm just picturing that in my head. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that is, that's what I'm going for for season one. That's what I'm feeling. I very much love those parties where you have like three or four different conversations going on at the same time over each other, but interlapping mm-hmm. each other. And I think that is what I would get out of a dinner party with those people. Okay, I have a very different list. Yes, I'm sure. I'm sure you have a very different list. But uh, this is, and that's because we're very different people. I I want some fun chaos in my life and have a great time. I'm not really, not looking to dive in too deep here. Uh, And I think we would have a great night. Aunt Wu and I would get sloshed. I think this would be so much fun. And I don't know if I've mentioned this, but I saw this theory At least I don't think I've mentioned this on the podcast, but about the White Lotus and how, you know, we'll get to know the White Lotus going forward. But it's a bunch of old men. And the idea that if there was a woman in the White Lotus, that maybe it's Aunt Wu Mm. and that that might be Sokka's worst nightmare when he becomes a member of the White Lotus. (laughs) That Aunt Wu is also there. But I'm also thinking it's either Aunt Wu and or the healer who owns Miyuki. I think the healer before Aunt Wu, but I like I the idea know, of Aunt I li- Wu. I like the idea of Aunt Wu too. She came in like she came into this town and just completely morphed the whole town around her. Yeah. And they've been working with her for 20 years and she doesn't do this for money. I just I don't know. Is it's fascinating to me that she does that this. The whole town seems to be like there's no economy in that town. 
Yeah, but she has made herself kind of the center and the protector of this town. And I think that's really interesting. Where was she before? Um, And I think those are the kind of questions that either Suki would ask or the mechanist. It's funny you mentioned that because I'm also thinking that Suki and the mechanist would get along really, really well. Yes, yes. And she'd also, I think Suki would really want to talk about, you know, potential, like what his thoughts are in certain combat weapons. How would you adapt the fans? Yeah. How would, you know, various other things. Or even have you thought more defensively about armor? I feel like the two of them would just kind of go off in the corner and like come up with all of these ideas together and like feed off of each other's energy kind of thing. and. That would be like a really cool thing to see. I could see the mechanist then also consulting with Sokka because Sokka is the person who's really brought his brought some of his inventions to life. And Suki's going to want to hype up Sokka. She's going to want to hype up her man. So I think all of those together, just really fascinating. Yeah, that's that's a good pick. I got to say, I'm like, I pitched this idea to you and you were just like, yeah, sure. Great. And you knocked it out of the park. Like, I'm super impressed and a little intimidated. It's a really cool question. And I just want, again, I have all this knowledge of it. And some of these characters are more minor characters. Yes. uh, Like Aunt Wu and the Mechanist. But I think it's a really cool way to bring everybody together and i think one of the things about avatar is that over the seasons we will see people thrown together but not all of these ones so that's what i did i want to hear yours though what's yours all right so top of my list is uh i'm aaron ahas he's the head he was the head writer on the show Uh, he executive produced and i think i had a really hard time thinking of someone else like i i wanted to put just the entire writer's room on my list (laughs) but just because i love the writing of season one so much and i think it is really such an amazing achievement that they introduced this show and the first season knocks it just out of the park so strongly and it's such a good first season when Mm -hmm. so many shows fail at that i just i want to pick the brain of everybody that was involved yeah okay uh number two on my list is dave filoni wow surprising no one (laughs) (laughs) i needed to put him in on my list this time because it's literally the only season i could put him on my list and i just really want to have dinner with that man and then you could ask him about that wolf on that episode i can ask him about the wolf i can ask him about his thoughts on storytelling i can sit there and have all of the conversations about all of the parallels between Avatar and Star Wars that my (laughs) heart could desire, and he would be right there with me, and it would be fantastic. Uh, Number three on my list is Iroh. You love you some Iroh. I think I am pretty sure that Iroh is going to be on my list (laughs) all three times we do this, (laughs) if not more. If we do this, like, I think Iroh just, he's got a spot at my table. Uh, Number four on my list is Zhao. Really? Okay, why? Uh, I am surprised by this as well, but I got to thinking, you know, okay, who like Filoni can I only invite this time? And I just thought, you know, we've talked a lot in season one about, you know, the concept that Zuko is our antagonist, but he's not our villain. And Zhao is our villain of season one. I want to, you know, almost not just give him the respect of being our villain and inviting him to the table. But I think as great as he is in season one, that character had more to give. And I think that there's more to Zhao than we saw. And I think he's a really interestingly 
thought out and presented character, especially like learning that he has this deep background and knowledge of the history of the world that we learn in, in the season finale. Like there's I think there's so much to him as a character, and I think he'd be really interesting to sit down and talk with. Plus, he figured out that Zuko is the blue spirit. And I like I respect that. And then number five, I was similarly having trouble because like my first three, like it was very easy for me to fill those first three seats. But number five, I was just like, okay, how can I round out this table so that, like you said, some of those side conversations can happen on their own in an interesting way. And I think I'm not certain, but I think I landed on Aunt Wu because I think Aunt Wu and Iroh would be an interesting conversation. I think Aunt Wu and Zhao would be an interesting conversation. I think as much as I think, you know, Iroh and Zhao might want to have a little go at it. Like Iroh does respect Zhao on some level before Zhao in Iroh's mind goes off the deep end. And while Zhao doesn't necessarily respect Iroh as an individual, I think he respects Iroh's accomplishments. I think he respects Iroh's legacy. And I think that adding Aunt Wu into that mix as sort of a, a catalyst for that conversation between the two of them might be a really interesting dynamic. I also just want to flat out ask, like I, I, I just want to put her under a microscope and be like no but really are you buying what you're selling it's so funny so i feel like we both took this exercise from different perspectives you took it and said all right i'm sitting at this table who are the five people i want to talk to and i said who are the five people i want to watch interact like that if i just sat there if i sat behind a pane of glass and i did not get to say anything in this conversation at all that i could just sit and enjoy and not get to say anything. And you were like, I have serious questions that I need to ask people. <laughs> so I'm going to sit them down and talk to them. <laughs> yeah. I think that's really cool that we both came at it from different angles. And we both landed on Aunt Wu. <laughs> <laughs> and I think I very much want to not only go to my party, but like, I want to go to your party. And I, <laughs> and I think you would have a good time at mine. <laughs> I think I would, I especially because I think I'd bring a little bit of chaos to your party. You just can't help yourself. I can't help myself. You know I'm going to say something to Zhao, and it's <laughs> going to set him off. You just know it. I'm going to call him, like, Captain or Captain Zhao or something and just really, really piss him off. <laughs> I'd like to see that. I'm gonna, I would just be like, Captain, I mean, and then I'd be like, another time, just Lieutenant, um, Private Zhao. I just say the wrong one every time. And he'd be like, it's commander. And I'd be like, oh, yeah, mm -hmm, forgot. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> Corporal Zhao. Corporal <laughs> Zhao. And you know, Iroh would continue with me. <laughs> oh, definitely. I like that, though. And I'm already starting to think of like season two stuff. And especially with what you said of um, people only being in a season, it's going to be really tough for me for season two. I think season three is going to be easier for me than season two. I think I agree with you on that because I think I already have my season three list, but I know I don't have my season two list. I think Sokka is going to be on my list for a bit, though, because I love that's just my kind of when I roll up to a party, when parties existed, uh, I roll up with Sokka energy. <laughs> that's you what do. I bring. <laughs> I genuinely, I, I believe that's what I bring. I think 
we should talk about, you know, journey arcs of some of our main characters going from the beginning of the season to the end, how they've gone. I want to start out with Katara, her very first water bending, and she's just trying to levitate the fish. And at the end, she is a bona fide master. I'm so proud of her. So proud of Katara. She leveled up so much this season. Oh, yeah. And I feel like it really started with a waterbending scroll. (laughs) You know, I was actually thinking of her level up from Deserter as well, learning how to do the water healing. Sounds like someone needs to edit their list. Oh, I'm not editing my list. (laughs) My list is great. (laughs) My list is wonderful. But I really love that we not only see her learning from like the scroll and learning from a master, but learning on her own and from her own experiences and taking her own experiences and bringing them into her style. I feel like Katara's style of waterbending becomes uniquely hers. And I think we see that grow from the beginning of the season. And it really, really shows at the end of season one when she is, you know, taking on Master Paku, who is surprised at the way that she fights and that's because this is all her own style this is nothing she's been taught before she has seen airbenders work she has seen earthbenders work and she has seen firebenders at work and she is going to make her waterbending just as strong and vicious as all the styles she's seen so she's taking wisdom from many different places yes like that idea i like that idea a lot I agree. I think I think especially in the duel with with Paku and Waterbending Master, we see that Katara does have an unorthodox approach, but we only see that in in comparison to Paku's style. And the whole time that we're on this journey with her, it just you know to us that's what Waterbending is. And I think closing out the season by showing, I guess, a more traditional version of Waterbending really yeah does a great job of highlighting that that difference yeah it's exciting and if that's where she's at after one season i can't wait to see like what she brings going forward because i think another thing about her waterbending was her finding her confidence and feeling secure in what she's doing so especially with if we're talking about the waterbending scroll she did not feel secure in teaching ang and now here she is a bona fide waterbending master from another master saying no you are official waterbending master and you're your job is to continue to teach the avatar. I can't wait to see what she's going to create from that because now she has no fear, no nothing holding her back saying, I am not good enough. She now knows she's good enough. And I mean, I think she gets that validation when she fights Paku. I don't think that validation necessarily comes from him, but it comes from her experience dealing with him. And she can be more sure-footed in her journey going forward. So I have a question for you uh, about your thoughts on Katara's waterbending. Do you think that her abilities would have been as prodigious if she had had a level of, of support and training and formal waterbending education that, you know, that she didn't have. And when I say that, I don't necessarily mean if 
that training took the form of the educate of the the training that we see in the Northern Water Tribe because I don't think Katara would have necessarily done well coming up in that society. But we have no reason to believe that the Southern Water Tribe separated their bending out between two genders in the way that the Northern Water Tribe did. So if there had been other Southern Water Tribe water benders to teach her water bending, do you think she would have grown as quickly and as powerfully as we see her. I think she would have been powerful, but I think she would have been a lot more limited because she that formal training would have said, you can't do this, you can't do that. This is the proper way to do things. And I think she would have missed out on a bunch of opportunities to learn different styles and to create her own style. I think it's very similar to like when you are teaching science to a group of kindergartners who don't know that there are limitations, the questions they ask about the universe and about science and, you know, well, how much can duct tape hold up? Like, can you just like duct tape an airplane together? Like the questions that you get are so outside the box. And I don't think there, I think there are a lot of elements that she uses in her waterbending that come from that not knowing that there's a limit and that creativity. And I think honestly, if there was formal training for her growing up, that that creativity creativity would have been stifled. And so, you know, I'm a very big proponent of everything happens for a reason. And I think she found her own way through her waterbending to make a mark. And I don't think I'd want to see it any other way. It's a really well thought out answer. (laughs) Sometimes I'm thoughtful. (laughs) Sometimes you are. It always surprises me. I know. (laughs) We said that in one of our episodes, we were talking about like, when you're around another person and you're just like <laughs> dumb. Yeah. We're like, we're the dumb people. <laughs> we both elected to have this thoughtful attempt at deep conversation in a public forum with the person that makes us dumb. Yeah. So then, no, but I think that's very smart of us because uh, makes it, it makes, it's very smart of us because we then tend to surprise each other and to push each other and to spark each other's interests. You want to talk about Aang? Yeah, let's talk about Aang. Let's talk about Aang. He came out of an iceberg. That's where he started. And then I think you made the solution in the in the finale of him kind of being in another form of the iceberg in the like water mech. Yeah, when he's thing. in his fish suit thing. Yeah, in his fish it suit. It <laughs> looks like the like the orb that he's I guess bending interfacing with the spirit with. It's his yes. iceberg orb. So here's here's what I want to say about that though is that the iceberg is the original. It's it's just protecting and it is taking over him. But at the end of the season, he gets to put power and action behind that protective case. He gets to it's active rather than the passive. And I think we see Aang stepping into his role in the world. I agree. Oh, cool. <laughs> this is the, I, I feel like you keep going off on ranch. And I'm just like, yeah, yeah, I, yeah, that's, I agree. Who knew that after 20 episodes of making a podcast, we tend to look at it like we're starting to look at things the same way. I think he's starting to follow his destiny. That's where you and I may differ. I think. He's not following his destiny. He's finally fulfilling his duty. Mm, mm. He's stepping up in the way that he should have, but was not ready to and could not before. 
That's what the parallel is. Okay. I still think it's destiny. I mean, UA, that's kind of a destiny thing. I think my, what makes me hesitant with, with ascribing it to destiny is that for me, that removes an element of Aang's growth from the situation. Because if it's his destiny to work through this trauma, like, doesn't that take away from the accomplishment of him choosing to, to do that work? So I'm going to go very on woo here and that his destiny is to put a put a stop to this to this war. His destiny is to create balance again. And I think the best part about that, that creating balance is that, well, not the best part, but the most interesting part is that everyone else seems to know what that answer is. Uh, that it's, you know, defeating the fire ward. That will set balance, defeating the fire ward. And I think what's great about Aang's journey is Aang is trying to figure out what actually is the best way to create balance in the world again. And sure, maybe part of that is defeating the fire ward, but how is he going to do that? It's the how, it's all the nitty gritty. And it's very much, it's make, it's bringing me back to the fortune teller where Sokka says to the guy, he's like, he's like, see, Aunt, like Aunt Wu told you that you would be protected from the volcano and the volcano blew up. And the guy goes, the village wasn't. She said the village would not be destroyed by the volcano this year. She was right. You guys stopped it. It still wasn't destroyed. And that's kind of where I, where I am with Aang and Destiny in a way is that while there may be like the outliers of like, like the little like pins on the map on the way on the way to, you know, his on the way to his destiny it's it's how you interact with them and it's how you move forward i think you get to choose it i feel like Sokka right now because no (laughs) (laughs) no see and i knew you were gonna say that like you're going back to to the aunt Wu, the fortune teller episode i'm looking at the finale compared to the flashbacks that we see in, was it the storm when we get the flashbacks to Aang going into the ice? Mm, yeah. And in in those flashbacks, Aang is, you know, he's reacting to this news and, and this sense of rejection. And his answer is to run, to run and in a way to, to hide. And he gets caught up in this storm that pulls him under where he has to enter the Avatar state to save himself. But like that, that is all those are things happening to him. He has very little ownership in any of the circumstances that arise. I think his running he has ownership in. He chose to run. He has ownership in his running. But the things that happen as a consequence of his running. He couldn't escape his destiny. But (laughs) no man can. (laughs) He chooses to run. Mm-hmm. But everything that happens after that happens to him. Happens because he chose to run, but happens to him regardless. In in Siege of the North, he doesn't choose to run. He chooses to stand his ground. He chooses to respond to circumstances directly. And he is the one in the fish mech swatting away the Fire Nation. He chooses an active role. And I would say he chooses an active role in his destiny. He tried to run, and he couldn't run away from it. No, he's fulfilling his duty. Okay. I think you and I will still continue to fight about this. Destiny has nothing to do with it. (laughs) 
And I'm like, destiny is the road he takes. <laughs> no, because his road is not set before him for him to just but follow. His he's forging his path with every step. There, yeah, there are many roads, and he gets to choose which ones he takes. But the path he walks is not laid before him. He defines it for himself. He's not on a road. He's making a road. Yeah, but what about the destination? He doesn't even know where <laughs> he's going. And like, there's no road. There's, but he has destination. a destination in mind. Does he? Yes. He Balance has an idea. For the world. He has a concept. That's not a destination. Mm. Hey, you. this is the spirit world all over again with you and me, buddy. That's a concept. It's not an actual place. Look, I managed to get some of our most famous fights all condensed into one. <laughs> you did. I did. I did. I don't think I we're think solving we're... this fight this this time no, around. No. And I think it's just going to get even messier as we go into season two. And I'm so excited. Let's talk about Sokka. Okay. <laughs> How do you feel now? This is your first rewatch. How do you feel about Sokka? I like him so much more than I did at this point the first time around. I just, I, you gotta look for the nuance with him. And I was not doing that before. You don't want to sometimes. Like, at the, I think in first watch through, you don't want to look for the nuance with him. Ooh, that's an interesting idea. I hadn't thought about it like that. Especially when you have such nuanced characters as Aang and Katara and Zuko. That you're like, oh, please just give me a simple guy who's talking about meat, like, and that becomes Sokka. So you really don't want to look for the nuance at first. You're like, oh, Sokka. And once you decide that that's who that character is, it takes a lot for him to start to change your mind. Yeah. Yeah. But looking for it, going in to look for it, you can see it a lot earlier. Yeah. And I'd say he kind of has to work twice as hard to get that recognition. Not just because he's a non-bender, not just because it's, you know, he is he is the funny man. He's the support. But there's also a lot going on with him as well. Almost. It's like I'm realizing now he is so written for the audience to view him the way his world does. And I don't think I don't think that many of the other like I don't think we see the other characters the way that the world of Avatar sees the characters, except for maybe Sokka. What do you mean? I mean, like, you know, we we see Aang as the Avatar. We see him as, like, weighing these heart, these big decisions and, and going on this, you know, spiritual journey. We see Katara as this leader and caretaker of the group, but the world sees two kids. Mm-hmm. But it's very easy to see Sokka as the, you know, doofy comedic relief not much there, not much deeper guy. And the other characters in the show, be they, you know, members of our main group sometimes, or, you know, new characters that we're meeting in the village of the week, like they see him that way too. Yeah, yeah. And it's rare that anyone else, that anyone sees him differently. Oh, now I'm sad about Yue again. Yeah, Yue, Suki. Oh, Sokka making me sad. The Mechanist. 
The mechanist saw him differently. Yeah. There are people who will see him differently. I mean, Jet saw him as a threat. I was going to say, Jet saw him differently. Mm-hmm. Just differently than everyone else saw Sokka differently. Yep. And it's so funny. There's not even like, I, I'm thinking about these people and I don't see too much of a common thread. Um, I mean, they're non-benders. There are other non-benders. That's the big thing that jumps out in my mind. And the other benders outside the group definitely like look down on Sokka. I feel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think that Boomy takes Sokka very seriously. No, <laughs> no. I mean, first of all, I don't think Boomy takes many people seriously. True. But Boomy does not take <laughs> Aang seriously. But Sokka, no. He's just the new fun guy, right? Yeah. Yeah. I wonder what Boomy does take seriously. Iroh. Whimsy. Flopsy. <laughs> takes Flopsy very seriously. But yeah. So I'm I'm for me with Sokka, I think another thing is I'm we're seeing him grow up and he wanted to be that grown up in the very first episode. He wanted to be that grown up who could defend uh, the defend the village. And he is trying so hard to still be that grown up and protect his sister and his sister's friend um, and his friend. I was about to call you out on that. <laughs> I know. I know. They I know. climbed that volcano together. They did. They did. But he's that he's finding connection with Aang because I think at the beginning of the season, he did look at him as Katara's friend for a lot of things, even in the deserter. Like he turns on Aang in a hot second when once Katara gets burned, he is always going to. She is my sister. You are secondary. Even in Bato, there's that moment of like, oh, you could come with me. Like Bato offers for them to go with him. And it's Sokka who says, no, we have something more important to do. So I think it's really interesting to see Sokka not just feel like the adult in the room, not just feel like the protector, but to feel a part of the family and appreciated. And this was not a great ending for Sokka for season one, just because it's so heartbreaking um, that, you know, he's going through all this work. And I think it's just going to make him older, you know, and it'll be interesting. I don't think in any of my rewatches that I've really looked at Sokka's grief. And so I think that's something I'm going to be looking for at the beginning of season two and how he's holding up. I think... I agree. This is a, a sad ending for Sokka for season one. But I think it's also when we meet Sokka at the beginning of season one, he's very much a cliched, outdated sort of masculinity. Oh, he's a misogynist. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like oh, yeah. textbook toxic masculinity. Oh, yeah. And I think a big part of his journey is learning to abandon that mm -hmm. and learning how to embody a kind of masculinity that is not toxic. Yeah. And I think we see that over the course of season one. Yeah. I think we see that him learning from the Kyoshi warriors is really fundamental. I think we see that uh, it's, it's interesting because I don't think it's just seeing a lot more powerful women. I think it's seeing these grown men being just terrible and him going, I don't want to be that. I don't want to, I don't want to be that. I don't want to be that soldier. I don't want to be Zhao. Like someone ever said, I was like, Zhao, I'd lose it. And so I think he has exposure to, he, he has exposure to the world to see who he wants to be. I, I think his relationship with UA is very, very much a, a, a communication to the audience that, you know, he's, he's learning. Look how much better he's doing. 
And it's also kind of a test for him. It's especially at the end, it's, you know, does he have the the fortitude sounds like the right word, um, but I, I don't have. Yes, it is the right word. It doesn't feel right to me, but, you know, does he have the fortitude to, despite how painful it is to him, to listen to what Yue wants and let her make those decisions for herself and sacrifice herself for the fate of the world? And he does it so softly and so quietly. And that feels like, I can't even, like, what am I saying? I'm giving the guy credit for letting someone else make a decision for themselves. Like, that's such a low bar. But it is a bar that Sokka would not have been able to pass. Yeah, but... At the start of the show. Honestly, that's that's an ally right there, is, you know, what... Yue, what is your decision? What do you want to do? I want to become the moon spirit. Okay, I love you, and if this is the right decision, I support you, and goodbye. And she goes and bees the moon spirit, and is the moon spirit. And I just, I think that's a really good point you made there, Colton, of just having that fortitude to do so. And he, I don't think, I agree, I don't think he would have had that at the very beginning. He's really grown up and grown out of some of those, you know, bad tendencies. Also, Katara is much stronger now. She would whoop him <laughs> for any for any of that talk. At first, it was just a little splash if he decided to say something sexist. Now, she's got those ice discs. He's got to watch out, okay? You want to talk about Zuko? Yeah, let's talk about Zuko. So I wanted to tell you what my, I remembered my first thoughts when I watched the end of season one of Zuko. And it was, wow, cool. He was a really interesting character. I hope we get to see him again. Same. Because I was like, is his story over? Like, that's what my brain went to. He got his dream became a reality, like his dream of capturing the avatar. The avatar all of a sudden, bloop, like falls out of the sky in existence after a hundred years of disappearing. He goes after him. He's like neck and neck all the time. And on numerous occasions, he manages to capture the avatar. But in the final one, he gets a hold of him. He's got him. He's got everything. He's got the boat to leave and he decides not to. And he has another opportunity and he says, I'm just going to walk away from all of this. I need to rethink my priorities. His, I mean, we know his story goes on, but we have a complete arc for Zuko at the end of season one. Yes. And if we never saw Zuko again, it would have been a really satisfying story. Yes. I very much was like, huh, that was an interesting character. I hope he gets some mental help that he needs. And then like ready to move on to the next villain who also needs some mental help. (laughs) (laughs) But I very much, I did not expect to see Zuko in season two. Yeah, yeah. It was a delightful surprise when he first showed up in season two for me. Yeah. Because I just, yeah, yeah, I like watching him and it. Watching his we'll have to and... talk about them more because I have some more thoughts. I have some more thoughts on that when we get to that episode. When we get to that episode, oh, we're definitely going to talk about that when we get to yeah, there. Yeah, but I just wanted to put it out there that like I totally thought that this was the end of his character arc. That was it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, 
I think you said it perfectly. He his journey was to capture the avatar and thereby regain his honor. Mm-hmm. And he captures the avatar. And when he finally does it the final time, he regains his honor. But he doesn't feel any different. That's what that's what like he has this moment of like, I have everything I've ever wanted and I don't feel any different. What am I supposed to feel? Not. Oh, man. That hit me. I think it makes perfect sense. I mean, have you ever gotten something that you really want? And like, you don't always feel this supreme sense of fulfillment. Surprise, surprise. In real life, when you're when the arc of the interesting part of your story ends, your life keeps going on, hopefully. Yeah. And it's it's really the journey that is that the thrill. Yeah. I mean, human lives are not, you know, neat time up in a bow TV seasons. What? <laughs> I know they're not. Took me many years to learn that. But <laughs> but I think it's really really great that learning that lesson is a part of Zuko's journey. And I think it's I I feel very strongly that the moment when he captures the avatar in Siege of the North is what he believes the culmination of his journey to be. But I think that for season one, his journey of regaining his honor ends when he decides to walk away. Colton, what are you looking forward to for season two with your first rewatch, your first revisit of season two? Expectations, excitements. I think one of the things that I've really grabbed onto this rewatch is enjoying the larger world building that we get in in little moments in animals, <laughs> animals in different groups of people and where we're physically traveling, clothing. I've I haven't left it always in the finished episodes, but, you know, we've talked about maps and money and (laughs) fashion and culture and plays. And there's so much. Yeah, there is so much. And it is all of it. Fantastic. This every time that we're out in this world and we're going somewhere new. It feels like each place has a history. It feels like each group of people have a story and they're all different and they all interact with each other. And it is just such a beautiful web. Yes. Yes. But what about you? What are you looking forward to? All right. My my season two rewatch uh, things I'm looking forward to are, I mean, they're just personal things that I love about season two. I am so excited because two of my favorite characters are in season two. We are getting Azula and we are getting Toph. And I have so many feelings about Toph. She is like a part of me. Um, And same with Azula. And so I cannot wait to meet those characters. And we really like switch up the game. And then another thing I am looking forward to in season two is Zuko's hair. He does have a hair journey. Yeah, he has a hair journey. And uh, I am going to track that. Maybe that becomes its own little song. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe that's a threat, Colton. (laughs) I don't know if I view that as a threat or a promise. (laughs) But I am very interested in those items. And I think 
it's also, it's just something really cool doing a rewatch podcast and going episode by episode and giving myself a week to really marinate on everything that the episode has shown me and to expand my thoughts from like, I feel like my thoughts are all like, I at one point, my brain wrote out all these lovely, beautiful thoughts. And then they like folded that piece of paper up into a teeny tiny bit and then put it in a folder behind a folder. And I get to spend that whole week finding all those crinkled pieces of paper and flattening them out and going, there's some good stuff in here. There's some good stuff in here that I've been holding on to for far too long. And I get to share that with Colton. So I'm pretty excited. I'm glad you get that experience. That is not at all my experience of making the show, but I'm glad you get that. Yeah, I get that. And it's really cool to hear someone else's perspective and to watch the show through someone else's eyes. I mean, every time I see the colors now or anytime I'm listening to music, I'm like trying to pick out. I was like, oh, is that a Sugi horn in there? Wait, is Zuko coming up? I start to listen for those things. And um, even my husband will point out, he's like, he's like, notice the blue. Did you see the blue? And I'm like, I saw the blue. We get new late motifs in season two. I'm excited. I have thoughts. I am excited. Especially, I feel like the color scheme is really going to change because we, so book two is Earth. And so we're going to be in the Earth Kingdom a lot. Just like a lot, a lot, a lot. I mean, we were in the Earth Kingdom a lot for book one. I mean, yeah. But we were coastal Earth Kingdom. There wasn't like inland. So we're going, we're going, we're going inland. And it's exciting. We're going to see new cities. And yeah, I'm ready. I'm ready. And we're going to see different places. And you and I are going to fight about the swamp. We are going to fight so much about the swamp. So much about I just the swamp. Know You're going to hate it. I'm Okay, my prediction is that the swamp is going to be how I felt about the Great Divide. I don't know if you can get me to like the swamp. I'll go into it with an open mind. But you are, I'm just, you're, you're I know, fighting you uphill. Did not, you did not get me to like the Great Divide. But I now see some of the merits. I think I think you, the swamp deserves a second chance. Well, let's get to it. Yeah! Thank you for listening to The Pie Show. If you liked what you heard, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. You can find our show notes at thepieshow.fm slash 20. If you'd like to reach us, you can send us a tweet at thepieshow or email us at thepieshowpodcast at gmail.com. Patient. <laughs> Very nice. I had to. <laughs>